AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon as we are joined by Patrick Hulican, the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer over at minnesotareformer.com as we are going to be talking about some of the latest stories that they have been working on here during this Thanksgiving week as we are going to be talking about uh, Patrick's column that brings up the fact that maybe we need to have someone who has a little bit more of a regulatory background in charge of the Department of Cannabis. We'll also be talking about the performance of the Minnesota Parents Alliance in many school board races in the elections from a couple of weeks ago and how they had very disappointing results. We'll talk about where they go next. Plus, we're going to be talking about PFAS chemicals and the relationship to the uh, defense industry and how even though we're trying to ban some of these PFAS chemicals, there is some pushback from the military industry since they do use many of those chemicals in uh, some of the some of the equipment that they make. So Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So let's start off talking about your column because you had an interesting correspondence with a member of the Walls administration a while back when they first appointed a commissioner of the Department of Cannabis. That was back when it was announced that Aaron Dupree, who is the owner of a THC store that was later uh, caught advertising illegal THC products, was named the head of the cannabis department. And you kind of jokingly asked that official from the Walls administration if they would soon be putting a 3M executive in charge of water quality. The Walls official responded by saying a better analogy would be a farmer appointed the commissioner of agriculture. But uh, this is kind of an example of a government regulator kind of working hand in hand or hand in glove with the industry that they regulate. We see this all the time, whether it's in agriculture or finance, and it looked like we were going to potentially have this same thing happen with the Department of Cannabis, or uh, another term that you might know of. It's called regulatory capture. And we do see this all the time in government throughout all sorts of industries, and we well, nearly saw it in the cannabis industry here in Minnesota as well. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I think the... Uh... The, the classic example are, are often when when Republicans are elected uh, president, and you see they'll put uh, like, for instance, pre- uh, former President Trump had a, a coal industry lawyer as the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, I and mean, they take it to a kind of laughable um, extent the, the, of putting uh, somebody, a re- putting a, a regulator in charge who is, is very cozy with the industry they're supposed to be regulating. And uh, that, that was certainly my, my first impression when they made this uh, appointment, which, of course, was quickly withdrawn because it was it turned out she was not really properly vetted. Um, and then I thought that, that when they responded, uh, when, the, when the administration responded to me, and I, and I was kind of saying, like, this seems like industry, uh, this seems like regulatory capture. And then to say, well, it's like putting a farmer in charge of the Department of Agriculture will, you know, a, Okay, so you're almost conceding the point um, that that we ought to have uh, somebody from from the industry um, overseeing regulation of that industry, and um, I think it's if we're going to have good government, uh, we need to have a, a, a bright line uh, between uh, the industry and and the regulators uh, who, who are overseeing that industry and making sure that rules are followed. And um, you know, it's not an academic exercise. It's, they, the the rules that we put in place are very important. They need to be clear and they need to be consistently uh, followed and and consistently enforced. And and that's how we have 
clean air and water and uh it's it's how we prevent airline crashes and all kinds of stuff i mean we we live in a in a regulated economy and we can argue about whether or not it's too too much or too little um but for those regulations we have that they ought to be um they ought to be enforced by uh by somebody who is looking out for the public's interests and not the industry's interests and um and so that's that's really my concern here, um, enterprise-wide as far as state government and federal government goes, but especially in this case of, of the Office of Candidates Management, where you have a product that um, I mean I was long favor of legalization um, and and editorialized as much, but I also see the risks here. Um, you know, it it's it is a a, a mind-altering substance. We got to keep that in mind and and have a regulatory structure in place that will um, do what we we want insofar as keeping kids from uh, uh, consuming it. Um, that will uh, to pay attention to addiction and recovery. Uh, that will look out for crime surrounding the product um, and also product purity and safety. Um, you know we need regulations in place and a regulator uh, who's going to do a good job. Uh, uh, overseeing the uh, Office of Canvas Management, not somebody who is uh, um, in bed, for lack of a better phrase, uh, with the industry. Exactly. And I want to bring up a, something you wrote about and how when you lived in Nevada back in a previous professional life, you had a chance to see how this kind of worked with the gambling industry in Nevada, where oftentimes you had people who were the regulators that, well, a few years later, they would end up getting a very cushy job within the gambling industry, which largely led to kind of a revolving door and a lack of a, a real lack of public trust when it comes to, well, who's going to regulate these industries when someone can just say, well, they're all corrupt anyways. Why should I pay attention? Why do we even need regulations in the first place? Yeah, one of the problems when, uh, as you point out, my when I covered uh, the gambling industry in, in Nevada, there was just no question about who was really running things there, and it was the industry, not the regulators. And uh, and there was this revolving door of uh, folks who would go from uh, the big uh, law firms that uh, you know that did the the gambling regulatory compliance work, then they would go into the uh, they would become regulators. Then they go to the companies, um, just back and forth, and um, it really made you question um, how how much the uh, the rules were were being enforced. And and you're talking about in this case the the casino industry, billions of dollars coming washing in and out, and there's all kinds of opportunity for for organized crime and uh, all kinds of nefarious activities around that industry. And so it really needs uh, a a close uh, regulatory uh, framework, and uh, and what I saw was some was something else entirely, and I, I think that's what we uh, want to avoid. And I I think you you uh, uh, kind of hinted at this. One of the problems when we see this regulatory capture, when uh, when when a regulated industry uh, has too much uh, control over the over the regulator, uh, is that everybody gets very cynical about the whole thing, and we just say, well, screw it. Why well, why are we even doing this? Um, and so it becomes an argument to deregulate. And uh, I don't think that's a good move either. And I mean, it's, it's especially um, in an industry like cannabis or like casino gambling or let's say banking, where there is a real significant downside risk 
um, if you deregulate and you have kind of a Wild West behavior. And finally, what are your thoughts on the new search that the Walls administration is going through right now? Because it certainly seems like they're taking a little bit more time uh, in terms of finding a new head of the cannabis, uh, the Department of Cannabis, and they uh, appear to be emphasizing the fact that they are looking for someone that has more regulatory experience rather than, well, industry experience. Yeah, I'm, I like the fact that Wall, Governor Walls has said, you know, he's taking his time. Um, and, and he's and he's looking for somebody who's uh, potentially out of state, especially if you're looking for, for somebody with, with any kind of cannabis regulatory experience. It's going to have to be you know, Colorado, Washington, a few other states that have done this have been uh, legal for, for some years. Uh, I, th- I think that's the right approach. I, I don't necessarily think that I mean, I think if, if you have somebody with regulatory experience, they don't necessarily have to have cannabis. Uh, regulatory experience. Uh, a good regulator is a good regulator. Um, so, but overall, I'm glad they're taking their time. Um, I will say though that they're they're way off schedule. I mean, the, the 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 law passed in in uh, late May. It went into effect August 1st. They're trying to have licensed uh, dispensaries open next year, and you know, right now they don't have a leader. And, um, and the first thing that leader is going to have to do is hire a bunch of people. So um, it's it's a little concerning that, uh, that they're pretty far behind schedule at this point, I would think. We well, can read more about that column over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. I want to briefly touch on another piece of news that has to do with the Minnesota Parents Alliance because a few weeks ago, back when we had our 2023 elections, you know, they had a somewhat disappointing election day as they only had 11 of their 44 endorsed candidates end up winning their local school board races, although the MPA or Minnesota Parents Alliance did have a little bit of more luck in the Anoka and Hastings school district races, but overall a pretty disappointing evening. So I'm curious, how are they reacting to the results that they saw a few weeks ago? What are they planning next? And I guess also, what were your overall thoughts on on how they did and maybe why they underperformed? Yeah, I mean, um, they did well in a couple districts, including the state's largest school district. So I think that's, that's notable. Uh, our reporter, Michelle Griffith, went to a, a meeting they held that was kind of a, a bit of an autopsy post-election. And I think the, the point that they made, which I think is worth worth uh, worth noting, is is that they're in this for the this is the, the long haul. And, and they, they understand that um, this could take um, many cycles, many years um, to to bring the plan to fruition. And, you know, I think on on the. Um, right side of the political spectrum uh we saw uh folks we've seen repeatedly folks that that had that long game in mind on abortion um on business deregulation on uh on tort they call it tort reform it really is is taking away people's right to sue uh corporations um all that all uh, many many of those projects of the of a Republican conservative movement have been decades in the making. And uh, I think that's the right way to look at politics. And, and so that really caught my, my eye when I saw that. The other thing is that they, for whatever their ultimate aims, which you never really know necessarily, they're not going to tell me, but for now, you know, they're focused on, they really kind of avoided the culture war uh, issues 
that that uh, some of their right wing education uh, groups have taken up in other states. Um, you know, the the kind of CRT book banning that kind of thing. Um, they seem to be uh, what I think is shrewdly more focused on academic achievement and um, and what they say is is, it, is an effort to depoliticize the schools, which is um, I'm, seems disingenuous to me um, because what they I, you know, but to speculate about their ultimate aims as far as putting their own political ideology in the schools, um, but for now they're focused on academic achievement. And you know who can argue with that? Um, so uh, I, I still think there's something there. You know, if if they remain um, focused and committed and and take that long range view, I I still think they can have a they can have an impact um, on the future of Minnesota education. And then of course, the when you get a, a, a an attractive candidate on a on a school board, that's a good place to run for for other offices. Um, and so I think that's the other part of what they're doing here is it's not just school boards, it's uh, it's um, developing candidates for the legislature. You can read more about that uh, and kind of the autopsy that was performed by the uh, Minnesota Parents Alliance uh, and what Michelle Griffith wrote over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. And one last piece of news to talk about today, and this uh, comes courtesy of KFF Health News via the Reformer, is that we've uh, been frequently talking about, uh, at least on our interviews that we do every Tuesday, about the damage caused by PFAS chemicals throughout Minnesota uh, by 3M and notably how there is polluted drinking water in the East Metro. Talked about that a few times on the show. But what happens as we continue to try to regulate these PFAS chemicals and get these out of our waterways and get these out of the environment? What happens when there's inevitably going to be pushback? Because this is an interesting uh, article that you guys wrote about over at minnesotareformer.com. It's this new report from the Department of Defense that talks about PFAS chemicals and how they're present in a lot of critical military equipment like helicopters, airplanes, submarines, missiles, torpedoes, tanks, and assault right and assault vehicles rather so uh the department of defense is making a push saying hey we need to slow down when it comes to trying to ban these pfas chemicals so this does sort of continue a tradition we've all often seen when we have environmental regulation we sometimes get pushback from either the private sector of uh well industry or the military in this case so probably not too surprising that we are seeing some pushback on this regulation we've been seeing on pfas chemicals Right, and, and in this case, it's <laughs> excuse me, both <clears throat> the the Pentagon and uh, private industry. The uh, for some reason, the well, I know why, but the the, the Department of Defense commissioned the um, American Chemical um, Industry to do the re- the report. Um, the American Chemistry Council, it's called, uh, which I found uh, a bit disheartening, because I don't know that the American Chemistry Council. Um, uh, is set up to do a, a, a good objective uh, report on the danger of PFAS. Um, and, and the report, uh, you know, not, not surprisingly says that uh, we need to slow down, as you say, on uh, curbing the use of these because they're, they're so vital to uh, national security. And I mean, I would say it's hard to argue with that. I mean, the, there, there's a reason these chemicals are in such wide use is because they're incredibly valuable. Uh, the, the problem is that they don't break down the environment and they uh, cause, or at least uh, we uh, fear 
that they contribute to uh, a, a bevy of uh, illnesses, um, including cancers. Um, so, uh, and I will also say that this is, uh, we heard this first back in the spring um, when uh, we, we actually published a story in which um, Congresswoman Betty McCollum, uh, she herself said, uh, we're probably going to have to, until we can come up with alternatives, um, we're, we're going to have to continue using PFAS. And all this, all this flies in the face of uh, 3M's announcement uh, late last year that they were going to stop making them. Um, and so this issue is um, very complicated, very difficult, and not going to go away anytime soon. Um, indeed, the chemicals just continue to, to build up um, all over the world. We can read more about that again from KFF, KFF Health News via the Reformer over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. We are just about out of time for today's interview. We have been speaking with Patrick Kulikan. He is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, again, over at minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.